fantastic. Well, welcome to church, everyone. Um, we have recently started, well, just last week and this week, uh, we've started something that I've dubbed Bibleographies. They're like, we're looking at the lives of some people from the Bible, like a biography, except they're in the Bible, so I call them Bibleographies. Uh, it's not copyrighted, you can use that. Um, so the, we're taking a look at the Bible in a more close, in a more close way. And the Bible, uh, I just want to clarify, the Bible is not just one book. The Bible, like you're holding, you might be holding a Bible, it's not just one book. It looks like one book, but it's actually more like a library of books. It's a collection of books. Every, there's lots and lots and lots of different books in the Bible. And there's lots of different types of narrative. That Narrative is one of the types. There's poetry, there's songs, there's historical narrative, there's prophetic writings, there's gospels, there's letters. And so the Bible is, is a huge place, and I'd really encourage you, get into it regularly. Get into it every day. Uh, it, it will bring life to you. And more specifically, the Bible is written by God and from God's perspective. So as we look at history, uh, I love, I don't know who the preacher was, but he clarified it. It's, it's like, it's history, but it's his story. It's, it's his story. It's written from God's point of view. It's, and so when we look at some Bible people, what we'll see is we'll actually hear, you'll actually notice God's response. What does God think? What does God do? How does God bless? How does God curse? All the way through the Bible. And so I love that. And so what we're going to do, last week we looked at Hannah. Now, Hannah, I've been looking at some of the lesser-known characters in the Bible, okay? So, Hannah uh, is not one that we talk about very often, but she was the, the mother of Samuel, who was one of the most powerful prophets in the Bible. Uh, he, he himself anointed King David and, so, and led Israel himself. So, today, I'm going to talk about uh, the most famous stepdad that I can think of. Anyone have a clue who I might be talking about? Joseph, come on, this is, this is not new. All right, Joseph, I love that. And I've actually found a lot of comfort in that as a teenager. Uh, so when I, my parents split up when I was about six. And, I, and back then, in the 80s, there wasn't many people who've come from broken families. Like I was part of a minority in the 80s, uh, in the early 80s it would have been. Um, and I was definitely a minority. There was only one or two other people in, that I knew of that had come from broken families. So, um, and so, when as a teenager, and someone said, oh, Joseph is Jesus' stepdad, it just like, what? Jesus has a stepdad? Blew my mind um, in a really cool way. So, we, let's pray and, uh, and, and invite God to teach us some lessons from the life of, life of Joseph. Father God, we just thank you that we can be here today. We just thank you that we've gathered as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will speak to us today. I pray that you will highlight to each person something that they need to hear, something that they need to understand, something that they need to apply in their own lives. And I'll put my hand up for that prayer too, Lord. Speak to us. We invite you to in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, Joseph, interesting, there is not one quote from Joseph's mouth in the Bible. When you look at the life of Joseph, you're not, you're not going to find anything that he said. Now, I'm not saying he was mute. Uh, I'm sure he spoke. Maybe he was a quiet guy. But either way, there was nothing recorded in the Word of God about what he said. 
So, uh, so that's interesting. But we, as we start the life of Joseph, it's recorded. So obviously, the stories in the, in the Bible is the birth of Jesus, which is where we find Joseph. Uh, and they're recorded in the books of Matthew and in the book of Luke. Okay, so uh, the interesting thing about both of these books is in chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter 3 of Luke, there is something that we call a genealogy. A genealogy is a list of this guy is the son of this guy, is the son of this guy, is the son of this guy. There are not, not many girls recorded in the Jewish... Um, there's a few, but there's not many recorded. There's mostly fathers, 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 uh, and sons, fathers and sons. But interesting, they're both different. Okay? And it gets a little bit more confusing because they both end up with Joseph. And if at a plain reading of it, you might go, what's going on there? Is one of them wrong? And so I've, I did a bit of homework for this because I know that you guys enjoy um, understanding these things a little bit better. And so what most scholars believe is that, uh, let me just, if we look at the screen, so this, the red side on your left, um, that is the line, was in the line of the book of Matthew. And on the right-hand side is in, recorded in the book of Luke. Okay, and like I said, they both end with Joseph. The book of Luke goes all the way back to Adam, but they both come all the way back to David. Now, these things are really important, and I'll explain why in a second. But what most scholars believe now is that Mary's dad's name was Joseph, which makes this all make perfect sense, especially seeing... Oh, there's probably too much detail. But in the book of Matthew, it says there were 14 generations before, from this person to this person, another 14 from this person to this person, and another 14. To, and, and one of them's lacking, missing a person, if you think that we're talking about Joseph's, the stepdad of Jesus. But if you recognize that it's Joseph, the grandfather of Jesus, there's the right amount. So uh, I think everyone back then would have just known this uh, a lot more easily than we do. And so this is what most scholars believe now. Look, I'm sure there's people out there who don't, but um, on the left-hand side is Mary's family tree, and on the right-hand side is Joseph's family tree. Now, these things are really important because it was prophesied, and I'll read it to you in a moment, but I'll explain it first. It was prophesied in, Matthew, in Samuel uh, about that the Messiah would come from the family of David. Okay? Now, this is where it gets really fun. Mary was the was the biological mother of Jesus, okay? And if you follow her line, it's the kingly line. It's come down from Solomon. Can you see it? So from Solomon down to Mary. So, so therefore, Jesus is the heir of that kingly line. Okay? So by blood, he is acknowledged as an heir of David, the kingly line of David. But back then, they didn't really acknowledge the mother's line as much as the father's line. Okay, so Joseph was his adopted father. But Joseph also was a son of David. And his line goes back to one of David's other sons named Nathan. So even legally, he was still a, a son of David. So both through his mother's line, biological kingly line... And, and his stepfather's line, which was his legal line, both son of David. 
So if we read that scripture now, 2 Samuel 7, it'll be on the screen. When your days, this is God speaking, or this is a prophecy over, about Jesus, um, but to David, this is what you call the Davidic covenant. Davidic simply means the covenant that God made with David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, God's name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. Isn't that profound? So it was well understood that the Messiah, this kingdom that was going to last forever, was going to be a child of David. Fantastic. And now we can see it. It's well established. And this is the reason the genealogies are there. When us in our modern day thinking, we look at those lines and we pretty much skip those bits unless you're looking to name your child. A really weird name. All right. So, you know, we did that. And most of them I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to do that to my son. I'm not going to call him that. Obed-Edom. Weird. I I thought about calling a band that one day, but not not a child. Um, He's not in in the kingly line. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. So, normally we skip over these genealogies, but now you can see how important they are. Because to a Jew, they'd established, it established the Messiah as, in fact, I've heard it recently, I've heard a, a Jew got saved just from looking at the genealogies. Amazing. Okay, so let's look at the uh, person of Joseph in the story of the birth of Jesus. So we're going to open Matthew chapter 1. Uh, so if you have your Bible there, feel free to go there, but it will be on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus. Do you know what betrothed means? Do any kids here know what betrothed means? Yeah, it's all right. That was the right motion. Embarrassingly, I forgot to put mine on this morning. But betrothed means you're engaged. Okay, so that's simply what it means. You're not married yet, but you are promised to be married. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is interesting. The book of Luke actually unpacks this a little bit further because that, that line, she was found to be with child, like normally it's, you're all quite hidden and sometimes you don't even know it. Um, sometimes. Sometimes you know it straight away. But sometimes a woman doesn't even know it yet until she starts to develop a baby bump. But uh, the book of Luke actually unpacks this a bit further. Uh, for three months, Mary, at the start of her pregnancy, Mary actually went and lived with her cousin, Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist. Um, and so for three months, she was there. So basically, that's her f- whole first trimester. She was there. And, uh, and the baby bumps kind of come a little bit at the end of that period. And so you can just imagine, she went on holidays to visit her cousin and came back with a baby bump. And Joseph was actually well within his rights to legally to actually have her killed. Do you, you know that? We live in a very different world now. 
But can you imagine that discussion that Mary had with her husband? Look, I, look I, haven't, I haven't been with anyone else. This is, God did this. Like the baby, it belongs to God. Like, it's a super awkward conversation. And you'll notice I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to kind of, I'm not going to use very um, literal language because we've got children in the building. Um, and uh, if you haven't had that discussion with them yet, I don't really want to prompt that. Um, but who knows? So, um, so she's gone away. She come back with a baby bump. And now Joseph is like, what is that? I mean, I know what that is, but what is going on? And um, now Joseph, this actually shows, I believe, some of Joseph's character. Because, like I said, he was well within his rights to have her killed. Deuteronomy 22.22 actually explains that for this crime against him, she should be, not just could be, but she should be stoned to death. But Joseph, it describes him there. Joseph was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. He was still offended enough to divorce her. Like, it was almost immoral for him to not divorce her. Like, it would have been wrong for him to go through with the marriage until this next thing happened. And I really do believe this is the first lesson we can learn from the life of David. And that, sorry, from the, from, from the man Joseph. Thank you. Um, Joseph was a man of good character. He was a man of good character. So even when he, he assumed his wife was in sin and he assumed... Hey, the right thing for me to do here is to actually have her stoned, to actually have her killed. But you know what? I'm just going to resolve to, to divorce her quietly because she's saying, like, she's saying it was God and maybe it was. But, you know, he hasn't told me that. So um, I'm just going to walk away. He was a good man. And you know what? If I was God the Father and I was looking for someone to raise my son, I'd be looking for a good man. And I think we can see that here. Joseph was a good man. How does this apply to us today? Let me make a statement. It's more important, for, it's more important to God for us to be people of good character than for, people, than for us to be people who live right, who do the right thing. Let me say it again. It's more important to God for us to be people who have good character than for people who do the right things. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't do the right things. Good people do the right things, but because they're of good character, not because they're trying to tick a box, tick off a list. Does that make sense? It is, right, is the right thing morally and legally was for Joseph... So the right thing, morally and legally, was for Joseph to get angry, to shame Mary, and have her killed. That was legally well within his rights, and even morally, religiously, inside of his rights. But he was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. I think this shows that he was mild-tempered, that he was quite humble. Maybe he believed Mary's story. Maybe he was questioning it. Let me say this, godly character is formed 
by the presence of God in our lives. Maybe I should have said this first. How do you get godly character? Godly character is formed by the presence of God in our lives. You see, when we actively follow Jesus and have invited him into our lives, then the Holy Spirit moves in. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is the gift of God to us. And he comes bearing, he comes with his gifts. And that's another sermon. But he comes with gifts, like in two cases, he moves in. And when you allow him to shape your life, then the fruit of his presence will pop out of your life. This is, this is what good character is. It's the presence of God in your life. So, and he changes us from the inside, and it, then it starts to show on the outside. Does that make sense? So we're talking about the fruit of having the Holy Spirit alive and well, active, with permission and access to your life. What does it look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, which you'll find in Galatians 5, 22. Um, again, different sermon, but let me just list them for you. When you've got God in your life, the stuff that's just going to happen, so this is not a to-do list, this is the stuff that's going to happen because of God in your life. You will be more loving. You'll be more joyful. You'll be more peaceful. You'll be more patient. You'll be more kind. Goodness will fall out of you. You'll be more faithful. You'll be more gentle. And you'll have self-control. Or at least more self-control than you did. This is the evidence. Oh, I use that word dangerously. This is the fruit of God being allowed to move the furniture around in your own life and in your own heart. And the challenge for us, how do you become a good person? How do you develop good character? You simply lean into your relationship with God and you give him permission. You give him permission to challenge the things in your life that maybe you need to, you need to grow up in. And he will, uh, the fruit of his impact in your life will be seen. He forms us from the inside out. Is that good? Have I harbored that point long enough? Fantastic. Let's continue on with the story. Matthew 1, I'm going to go start from verse 20. But as he considered these things, so this is straight after, he, was, he had resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he, had, as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... I can't put on a God voice, so just imagine. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For, she, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In brackets, it means which, which means God with us. Verse 24, When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Fantastic. I chose this version, uh, the ESV, on purpose, just in case you haven't had that discussion with your kids yet. He knew her not. So he married her, but they didn't until after Jesus was born. <laughs> Am I being so, this is so hard. I've been, I've been a youth pastor for 20 years. Uh, you got it? Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> See me afterwards. Um, lesson two. What, what can we hear? What, 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 this is the next lesson. And this is actually my last point, just so you know I'm not going to go on. Joseph was listening and attentive to God's voice. And he was ready to obey. This is the next lesson we can learn from Joseph's life. He was attentive and he was listening to God's voice. And he was ready to obey. I suppose I could have broken them into a few points. But the truth is, they're one point. If you're listening, then you're attentive. And if you're attentive, you really need to be ready to obey. Even if it's something crazy. If you know it's God, then you should do it. It's interesting. Three times God spoke to Joseph in dreams. Joseph was faithful and obedient every time without question or hesitation. Matthew 1, which we just read, is the first time that God spoke to him in a dream to marry Mary. Uh, Matthew 2 is the next one. Let me just read that to you. Verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt and the with the child and his mother. I'm glad that he had, he's got that much detail in there. The angel said, stay there until you, uh, sorry, stay there until you, until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Good reason to flee. Verse 14. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and, his, and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod died. And this fulfilled another prophecy. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. I love how he's detailing all these prophecies that are being fulfilled in these moments. Joseph was faithful and obedient every single time, almost without asking questions. Like, we don't, like, there's no questions listed here. He just gets up and he does it. It's like, the, like I, I'm just a really good stepdad, just obeying what the father is saying. Like, gee, if you're raising the son of God, you'd want to do what God says, right? Mm. Let me just show you uh, some of their journey. Uh, so this is Egypt on the left, and it, it's not listed on this map. But you'll see that uh, they were like Jerusalem and it's just over here. Just over here on, on the... And he was obviously coming from Bethlehem, which is just off of this map. But if I may point out, uh, we, the, technically we don't know where they went to in Egypt. Lots of scholars thinking lots of different things. Uh, I've, uh, lots of interesting ideas. But this is Egypt and this is the River Nile coming up through the middle of it. 
And there's, like I said, there's a few places there. Uh, Alexandria, which is actually just off uh, the top left of the map where it says Lower Egypt, is just off of this map. But Alexandria had a good economy and, uh, and, a, and a strong Israelite presence. So maybe they went there. Uh, there's this place called Leontopolis, which you'll see on that map. There's no point in me pointing at it, but it's just towards the top where all the river goes into many different branches. There was a large Israelite presence there, so maybe they went there. Uh, if you go to the next map, uh, you'll notice this is where you can see where they're coming from now. So Nazareth is right up the top. You'll see Bethlehem right next to Judea in that lake um, in, the, in the land of Palestine. Palestine. So, so that's Judea, so that's where they're coming from. And, uh, and this person thinks they actually went, they did, probably didn't go to Gaza, because even though Gaza was technically, it was about 65 k's away, and technically under Egyptian jurisdiction, it wasn't very under, like they weren't, like they didn't have a very strong presence there. So it's not likely they went to Gaza. Um, this guy thinks they went to this place called Babylon, which is um, awkwardly named. But right down here, it's near a place called Memphis. So um, he probably visited Elvis, but... Um, so right down there, so that's one of the other thoughts that, that they had, was uh, maybe he went somewhere there. Either way, we don't... Oh, the reason he thinks that is because there's a church tradition that said that. So if you look at the historical documents, um, that's where this guy got this information. So technically we don't know, but he went to Egypt somewhere. And the reason I wanted to point that out is you see there's a scale on the bottom of this map. Um, and you see 100 kilometres kind of represents just a few inches on this map. He, they went a long way. They went a long way. The most conservative journey here, we're talking like 170 kilometres, which was, that's a long way on foot with a toddler. He wouldn't have been a baby at this point. The wise men, uh, it took them a couple of years to get there. And remember, the Herod was looking for kids two and under, killed. So he was likely two and under, but he was not a baby. He, not an infant. He was very likely around one and a half, two years old at this point. Um, still, gee, just learned to walk. That's a long way when your legs are only that big. Matthew 2. Uh, this is the third occasion uh, where Joseph was spoken to by God in a dream. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So they're in Egypt now. Uh, verse 20, Get up, the, the angel said. Take this child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Verse 21, So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when they learned that a new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Achilles, he was afraid to go there. Achilles was a bit of a nasty piece of work and, uh, and was quite opposed to the Jews. Then after being warned in a dream, so there's another dream, so I suppose you could call this dream four now, he left for the region of Galilee. So that his family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophet said, he will be called the Nazarene. Another prophecy fulfilled. Isn't that fantastic? Joseph, and this is what I want to highlight. Joseph was faithful and obedient every single time, without question, without hesitation, willing to take his family on a really long trip at the drop of a hat. God said, get up and go. 
And they packed whatever they could and they got up and they left that night, it says, on a really long trip. Wow. That is a different kind of obedience. So let me ask you, let me, let's, let's, let's apply this to our own lives. What would you do if God gave you instructions like this in a dream? So it's a challenging question. We tend to distrust dreams. For good reason, I think. We, we tend to distrust dreams. But the, the thing is that in the Bible, God actually speaks to people in dreams quite a lot. It's a legitimate form of God speaking. Yep, we need to be diligent. We need to test prophetic words. We need to test prophetic dreams. Absolutely. We need to test it against Scripture. We need to test it against... Um, you need to pray yourself. You need to ask people that you trust to pray with you. Absolutely. We need to be good stewards of everything. But my question to you remains the same. Would you be brave enough to obey God to that length? To pick up. I mean, let's say it was only 170 kilometers on foot. Oh my gosh. We complain that, you know, driving 100 kilometer hours to Perth takes us five whole hours. Oh my gosh. To visit our family. Like, that's, that's, that's a long way. This man, Joseph, got up in the middle of the night. He grabbed what he could and he left for his country on a very long journey. This is a man with enough humility to accept the word of the Lord without question and go. It must have been a pretty vivid dream. I just want to talk about this for a little bit more. I don't know what your, how God speaks to you. He doesn't speak to everyone in dreams, just to be clear. If you've never had a God dream, uh, you know, that's, I'm not saying you're weird. You're probably more normal, actually. But God does speak in dreams. He does. Uh, and I remember I was talking to Sean about this because she on occasion gets dreams from God. You know, we pray about it. and we do, we, Sometimes we understand exactly what it means. And sometimes we really don't. And we have to pray into it. But I remember getting so jealous, going, oh, why does it ever talk to me like that? I want a dream, you know, in my childish voice. Um, and, and, she's, and she's quite wisely said, why don't you, have you asked him? Why don't you just ask him? And so that night, I, yeah, so I prayed and I said, all right, God, I'd love you to speak to me like that. Give me a God dream. And that night I had a dream and I woke up the next morning and I said, like, oh, I don't think it was a God dream. And I started to explain it to Sean. And the, the more I explained it, the more I realized, oh my gosh, it was, it was a God dream. It's just that it wasn't for me. It was for someone else. And I believe it was a call for me to pray for that person. It was another pastor. And, um, and just because you have one, that doesn't mean you, you go and tell them about it either. Like you need to pray for wisdom. So our, our goal here is to be listening and attentive to God's voice. Okay, but don't just interpret everything yourself either. Like, it, everything, he's never going to say anything against his own word. So it will always line up with Scripture. And if it doesn't, it probably wasn't him. 
Okay? And you need to pray into it, and you need to ask people that you trust to pray into it. So don't just take it at... at, at but Joseph must have had particularly vivid dreams to just get up and go, all right, it's time for us to pack up and go to Egypt. That would have been us just like walking to Melbourne. Uh, actually, that's probably not true. That's a lot more. That's a lot further. Let me just note something here. This direction that God had given Joseph and his family was for a particular season. Okay, it wasn't a forever word. He said, uh, Herod's trying to kill you, get up, move to Egypt. But what if, what if Joseph stopped listening and stopped paying attention to God's voice at that point? They would have stayed in Egypt. He would have said, no, God gave me a dream, he sent us here. I like, absolutely. This is where we are. And then Jesus wouldn't have come from Israel at all. He wouldn't have been a Nazarene. He wouldn't have, like, he, he would have been an Egyptian. Imagine if Joseph had stopped listening at that point. Unfortunately, I've seen in, in, my, in my past, in my story, I've seen people, including pastors, actually was led into something, into a role or into a place, and then kind of sink their heels in and park for like forever because they were sent there by God. And now, like I, So here's my point. If you've been sent somewhere and God said, stay there, then that's what you should do. But we need to be always listening and always paying attention because um, I suspect that some of these people overstayed their calling to that place. And if they were listening and attentive, I wonder if God would have moved them on somewhere else. Does that make sense? God gives us direction for, for, the, for the moment. And like I said, sometimes it's forever word. But sometimes you need to continue to, well, I think we always need to continue to listen and obey. Because Joseph's, what was right for Joseph was to move back to Israel. But not just anywhere in Israel, he had another dream which gave him a little bit more direction about where to go. And the other lesson here would be, is God speaks to us as we go. We, he speaks to us when we're in obedience. If you've sunk, stuck your heels in and said, nah, I'm not going to do it until I've got the whole map, he probably will stop talking. Like, he tends to speak more as we move. It's, I heard a preacher say, it's easier to steer a car when it's moving. And I think the Christian life is a bit like that too. Is that okay? Mm. So the point is we must, be, we must obey quickly and remain attentive. Obey quickly and remain attentive to God's voice. Not, not social media's voice, not Facebook's voice, not a politician's voice. Not saying God can't speak through any of those mediums. Absolutely, He can. But we need to be discerning and listening to God's voice. So, in a moment, we're going to move into a time of reflection and communion. Okay, and um, maybe can I get uh, the, the offering, the helpers to to hand out the communion elements, whoever they are. Thank you.
Lesson one. We should invite God to shape our character. We should be people who are inviting God to shape our character. Lesson two is we need to be people who are listening and attentive to God's voice. Maybe if you could just put those back on. Thank you. And this is, I don't know what God maybe is prompting in you today, but I'm going to give you a moment to reflect and pray into this. Just put that last one up where it had those two last points. Lesson one and lesson two. Thank you. It's okay, Siri. I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Can I just invite the worship team up and maybe to play quietly behind us, but what is God asking you to lean into right now? Is it to do with your character? Or is it to do with your attentiveness? I just invite you to close your eyes and pray. Ask God, God, is there something? What's the next thing? I doubt any of us here would claim to be perfect. So God, what's the next thing that you would like to shape in my character? In the person that I am? What's the next thing you need to work on? And surrender. Remember, this is not a to-do list. This is not something that we need to get better at. The instructions from the Lord here are actually, this is what you need to surrender. This is the next thing you need to lay down. So is there something in your walk with the Lord and your character that this is the next thing I need to lay down? Is it anger? Is it self-control? Maybe there's an addictive behavior that, that God is saying, oh, it's time. It's time to surrender it. Self-control would be the antidote for an addictive behavior. Is it love? Is it patience? Is it kindness? Let's pray. God, is there something in my character? What's the next thing that you're asking me to lay down? Or is what God is speaking to you about have more to do with direction? Got more to do with movement? Is he asking you and giving you some particular direction today? If that's you, just pray something like this. Lord, what is it that you would have me do next? Are you sending me somewhere? Are you sending me to a person? Lord, bring that person to mind right now. Please. Mm. Is there something, you, Lord, you want me to stop doing?
God, I thank you for how you are speaking to people now. I pray that you'll give us ears that are tuned into your voice. Those small, quiet promptings. You're such a gentleman. You speak so kindly and so gently. Give us a, a humble posture so that we may hear you well. And Lord, as we hold this bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ, the forever King, who is humble enough to lay down his life for us, we say thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus. Let's take the bread together. And Lord, as we hold this juice representing the blood of Jesus. Lord, as we take it, I pray that you will wash away anything that needs to be washed away. That those things, everyone's thinking something different. You just spoke to some, each person differently. Some of us need to lay things down and surrender it to you. Lord, for those things, I pray that you will that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will wash them away in Jesus' name. Lord, if it's direction of something to do or something not to do, Lord, we surrender it under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the reason that we can speak to you at all is all because of Jesus. And we love you for that. And we honour Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we honour you, Lord. Let's drink in a, in a sign of gratefulness and surrender to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for who you are in our lives. And I pray that you will help us be a people who are continually surrendering the bits and pieces of our lives to you. The next thing that needs shaping, the next thing that, needs, that you want to work on, Lord. Help us be people who continually surrender to you. Lord, help us be people tuned in and attentive to your voice. Help us to be obedient when you say to do something or when you say to stop doing something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.